Well, I invite you to turn to our, our passage this morning. If you have the, the bulletin, you'll find our passage and the outline of our study over on page three. <coughs> Throughout this Christmas season, we're going to be studying a number of different passages in, in Luke and in Matthew, uh, pondering this theme magnify the Lord, magnify the Lord, trying to see how God magnifies the greatness of his name in the midst of the events uh, that we celebrate this time of year, uh, and how we can have our own hearts more and more resonate uh, with that theme, magnifying God and the great things that he has done. And we're going we're gonna to start this morning uh, with the Song of Mary, and there is where we, we actually get that language of magnifying the Lord. It's a, the opening line of, of Mary's, uh, Mary's hymn of praise. And we're using that as a great launching off point. As we begin our reading, uh, we're already into the story itself. So the angel Gabriel has already shown up uh, twice, announcing two different miraculous births. First it was appearing to, to Zechariah, announcing that, that his his wife Elizabeth in her old age would have a child. That's John the Baptist. And then Gabriel appears to Mary announcing that, uh, that she who is without husband is going to bear a child, even the Savior himself. Uh, and it's right after that appearance that we pick up uh, in Luke's Gospel with verse 39 of chapter 1. So let's, let's read God's word together. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would enable us uh, to magnify your name, even in hearing your word, uh, even in responding in our hearts and, and throughout this week in our lives that we would see the great things that you have done and be refreshed in it, we pray. All for the glory of your name. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
well, there is the ongoing debate that happens in the Har home. It comes up every year about this time. When is the appropriate time to begin listening to Christmas music? Um, there, there are some who claim, wrongly, uh, that, that you're allowed to start listening to Christmas music as early as early November or October. Uh, well, actually, it's not much of a debate anymore because, uh, because the sides are so entrenched, it's just not even talked about. Like, why bother? Nobody's giving uh, budging an inch. Uh, but it occurred to me this week as I was studying this passage that maybe there's new evidence here. Uh, because after all, here you have a, a Christmas song, Mary singing a Kim of praise, uh, and she's singing this song some six, seven, eight months before the birth of Jesus. So is this evidence for singing Christmas songs in June or May? Uh, so I'm willing to make this concession. I'll do it publicly. If your Christmas song sounds like this, you can sing it in June. But seriously, we, we can all agree that, that this time of year, there is something to sing about. There is something worthy of song and the joy that comes with singing and listening to music. Uh, and here you have uh, Mary singing what could rightly be called the first Christian hymn. What is worth singing about? Now, what is, what is so good uh, that it should stir our hearts to song? Uh, and, and here you have it from, from Mary as she, as she takes in what the Lord is doing around her and doing in her. Uh, she, she kind of backs up and gives in glorious terms what God is up to. And what we want to do is come along and see how we can have our hearts resonate with her, uh, with her song with her joy as we take in what God what God is doing. We're going to begin by talking about the whole idea of magnifying the Lord. That's where Mary begins, uh, with that line of magnifying the Lord. Uh, that's where the, the, this, this particular uh, poem or song gets its traditional name, the Magnificat. That's the traditional name for it. It comes from that that word, magnify, it's the Latin form of it, the first word in Latin. Uh, if, you, if you read through this psalm just by itself, you might think you were reading from the Old Testament psalms. It sounds very much like a psalm of David, doesn't it? Uh, actually, much of the language here from Mary's lips uh, is language that comes out of the Old, Old Testament. Uh, it, the, most, the most direct parallel, actually, is uh, another, another great woman of faith, uh, Hannah. Uh, back in 1 Samuel 2, you might remember after, after she has a, a much-anticipated birth, uh, give, giving birth to a son, uh, Samuel, uh, she sings a song of praise, and there's, uh, there's a lot of common language between, between the two psalms. But Mary seems to quote uh, from all over the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, the other prophets— uh, it's, it's almost like uh, if you've ever prayed with, a, with an old seasoned saint uh, who just prays the words of Scripture without even thinking about it, just quotes from, from this Bible passage and that Bible passage, just flowing out naturally because they've studied the Bible all their lives and the Bible just flows out of them. That's, that's Mary's song here. She just uses the words taken from all over the Old Testament uh, and uses them as a song of praise. 
And the first two verses really give, give the theme, uh, and then we're going to ask the question, why or how? Uh, but the theme first. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And it does sound like an Old Testament psalm, doesn't it? Uh, you can see how the, how the form, uh, the, the structure is very much like Old Testament Hebrew poetry. If you were, have been in our adult class where we've been studying how to study the Bible, we talked about Hebrew poetry, uh, how, how the format is, is these set of parallel lines, uh, parallel uh, words side by side, uh, not like English poetry where there's rhyming words, uh, but Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas. So you'll state one thing, and then you'll state it slightly differently, but giving it a little twist. Uh, and you can see how uh, those two lines, 46 and 47, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. They're set side by side. They almost beg us to put them together and compare them. Uh, certainly you see the connection between my soul and my spirit. Uh, Mary talking about the inmost part of her being, the very core of who she is. Uh, so what is, what is this core of who she is uh, doing? Well, she says, magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in God, her Savior. Uh, to magnify the Lord. That doesn't mean we, we make God great. God is already great. We're not going to make him any greater than he already is. But to magnify the Lord is to, uh, is to shine his greatness, is to, to declare it, uh, to shine a spotlight on it, uh, to rejoice in it. Um, maybe you actually think of a magnifying glass. Kids, you've probably played with a magnifying glass, and you know that the magnifying glass doesn't make the object any bigger than it already is. Uh, the object just stays the same size. But you use the magnifying glass, and now all of a sudden you can see its greatness better. It becomes clearer just how wonderful and beautiful that, that object is. Well, that's, that's us magnifying the Lord. We don't make God bigger, uh, but to magnify him is to, is to shine a spotlight on his greatness. Uh, it's to make much uh, and, and rejoice in, uh, in his goodness and his greatness. It's very much uh, connected to the idea of glorifying God. Same, same basic idea. And when we glorify the Lord, we don't make him more glorious, uh, but we rejoice in his greatness. We, we shine a light on his glory and reflect it. Uh, glorify the Lord, magnify the Lord. And Mag Mary connects that with rejoicing in God, her Savior. Uh, right, Rhyming those ideas, magnifying the Lord, somehow connected to the idea of rejoicing in God. Uh, rejoicing in the God who saves her. Right? She clearly acknowledges she's a sinner who needs, who needs a Savior to rescue her. And that's exactly what God has done. That's exactly who God is. She's filled with joy because uh, this very God, who is great, uh, has, has used his greatness, has displayed his greatness in rescuing her. And she's rejoicing in it. Right? That's, uh, you can see the, the, the connection between the two. Uh, she magnifies God. Uh, by having joy in what God has done. And her joy in what God has done, it magnifies the Lord. The two are, are interwoven together. It actually sounds quite a lot like uh, that famous first catechism answer, right? What's man's chief end? 
Right? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? Sounds exactly what Mary's talking about here. Uh, man's purpose, Mary's purpose, is to glorify, magnify the Lord, and enjoy him, rejoice in God, her Savior. Very well might be where the authors of our catechism got those two ideas and married them together. Uh, Mary is doing exactly what she was created to do, uh, to make much, to magnify, to shine a spotlight on the greatness of God uh, and have her soul uh, excited, rejoicing in God's saving work. Uh, so then the question becomes for us, uh, can we sing along with Mary? Can we sing along with her, magnifying God, uh, rejoicing in God and what he has done? And that's the call for, for our lives, to sing along, uh, to, to see the great things that God has done in Mary, the great things that God has done in Mary's son, uh, to, to shine a spotlight on it, to rejoice in it, because it is our very, our very salvation. Now, but that's just the theme that she sets up. And then she explains in the rest of the psalm how it is uh, that God has, uh, that God is great. What he, how, some of the big things that God has done and how he has done it to show forth his greatness and save his people. <clears throat> and the big, the big explanation for God's greatness and something to find joy in is, can be summarized this way. The bulk of the psalm explains how God has, has exalted the humble and humbled the exalted. This is how uh, God displays his greatness and how God saves. Uh, he exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. So let's take this one at a time. Uh, magnifying God and the exalting of the humble. That God shows mercy to the lowly, to the downcast, to the humble. He raises them up. And Mary's uh, first example of this is herself. Right? You can see it flowing out of 46 and 47, right? My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for, I'm just going to give the reason, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So here's her prime example of God, of God exalting the humble. She says, look at me. And, and certainly, you look at Mary, and she's, She's nothing particularly impressive from worldly standards. In fact, she's actually quite the opposite. Uh, here she is in a, in a woman or in an age that didn't, uh, didn't appreciate uh, women rightly. Uh, here she is, a young woman, a young, unmarried peasant girl who now is with child, and thus she's a young, unmarried peasant girl with a really bad reputation. Undeserved, of course, but it doesn't stop it from happening uh, in, a, in a shame and honor culture where those things are almost impossible to restore. Here is a young, uh, unmarried woman, uh, girl, uh, who has a bad reputation. And where is she from? She's from Nazareth. You remember what, remember what Jesus' disciple Philip said of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? So it's this town that has this awful reputation. Right? Nothing really can come can good can come from there? Well, that's where Mary's from, right? So the, uh, the the peasant girl with a bad reputation from the from the town, uh, the backwoods backwater town with a bad reputation, right? It's about as low in the eyes of the world as you could get, most inconsequential, and yet from her, 
God has announced will come the Savior of the world, the King of Kings. Not from the, the great palaces of, of Caesar's Rome or, or even King Herod's Jerusalem. No, it's going to come from the backwater town, uh, from the peasant girl. Uh, that's where the salvation will come. And here is, here is Mary realizing uh, that God is, is looking on her humble estate in worldly terms, but of course she also, remember she's saying, I rejoices in God my Savior. She realizes that in addition to all the, the, the worldly terms, she's also a sinner herself in need of salvation. And God uh, has been merciful there uh, as well. God has, has, is exalting those who are of humble estate. And it's just beginning. right? This is how Luke introduces Jesus. You could go through the rest of the story of Jesus and see this is the theme of his ministry uh, from beginning to end. He, he exalts the humble. Right? We'll see it more this Christmas season as, as the, the good news of Jesus' birth is first announced uh, to the humble shepherds, the lowly shepherds. Now you see it throughout the ministry of Jesus as he, uh, as he ministers uh, to those the world thinks are unworthy. Uh, those are the, out, the outcasts. He spends most of his time ministering to women and lepers and the lame and, uh, and those who are notorious sinners. He ministers to them. He eats with them. He heals and raises them up, right? The, the humble are, are raised up. That's what Jesus does. Even the stories that Jesus tells. Think of Jesus' parables, especially those in Luke. Uh, are those the heroes of Jesus' stories are, are lowly individuals, Right, the, the hated Samaritan, uh, the, 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 the poor beggar by the name of Lazarus, uh, the, the prodigal son who feeds pigs. These are the heroes of Jesus' stories. Uh, and they're heroes not because they're great, either in worldly terms or even in and of themselves. They become heroes because God is working. He's raising them up. It's what Jesus does. Well, he's arrived. And here Mary announces it. As if, it, as if it has already begun, as if it is already happening. Uh, you can see it, for example, in 52 and 53. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Right? It's, Mary announces it as if it's, it's already beginning to happen. Uh, the, she is with child, and this great work of God is as if it's already accomplished. Yeah, because Jesus has already arrived on the scene. Uh, the ministry has begun. The breaking in of the kingdom uh, has begun. Those who are humble are being lifted up. And not just humble in outward circumstances. Notice how Mary uh, highlights uh, the humility on the inside. As she says in verse 50, And his mercy is for those who fear him from one generation to another. So it's not just God rescues those who don't have anything, uh, but those who are, uh, who are uh, humble on the inside, who fear him. In other words, acknowledge that he is great and they're not. He is God and they're not. He is the rescuer and we can't. Uh, right? Those are the ones uh, who are rescued in him. And that really is, of course, the, the whole of the Christian life, isn't it? That's how the Christian life begins. Right? Acknowledging that, that we cannot rescue ourselves. Think of how, how that, that its very essence is, is humbling. You're, you have to say, to enter the kingdom, you have to say, I can't get in myself. I can't rescue myself. I need someone else. I need the Lord. 
to rescue me. I throw myself at God's mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the, the cry that gets, uh, uh, gets announced as justified. Have mercy on me. Right? You start the Christian life in, in that humble estate. Uh, that's the only way. And then really the whole of the Christian life continues in that humility. Think of the, the very basic things that we do in the Christian life and how many of them are really wrapped up with, if we're doing them rightly, with humility. And what do we do in the Christian life? Well, we, we pray. What is prayer? It's going before God and saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this. I need you. Right? We're fearing him. We're humbling ourselves. Or reading your Bible. Uh, reading your Bible, acknowledging that I, I don't know you as I should. And even the things I know about you, God, I need to be reminded of. Because they haven't really sunk in. And so even reading your Bible rightly is an act of humility. Um, or worship. What are we coming to do in worship? But basically say, God, you're great. I'm not great. You're great. Uh, right? The very acts and basic things of the Christian life are, are caught up uh, with, with humbling ourselves, knowing that that is the way of life that God has laid out. That as we humble ourselves and cast ourselves on God, he lifts us up. And Mary says, that's what's happening. Uh, right in my very life uh, and with the very child that I bear. Right? God is magnifying his greatness by exalting the humble. He is also, uh, Mary announces, right at the very same time with the very same person magnifying himself in the humbling of the exalted. Right? The other side of the coin. Right? And listen to Mary's words Notice how she rhymes the other side. He has shown strength with his arm. He has, this is 51 and following. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. This is what God does. And, and he humbles the exalted. He exalts the humble, and he humbles the exalted. Again, through, it's already begun. Mary announces it as if it's happening. Yeah, because, again, the king has arrived on the scene. And his very com coming humbles the exalted. Now, we're going we're gonna to spend, give an example of this in a couple weeks as we study King Herod. Uh, this one who is known as Herod the Great. I actually saw a uh, National Geographic did a whole spread on Herod some years back. Uh, and it really talked about all the fabulous things that Herod did from an earthly perspective. Called him the architect of the Holy Land. And how he, well, not only did he rebuild the temple in this glorious fashion, and he built an entire port city, Caesarea. He built something like 11 different fortresses, some of which were never, ever, ever conquered. They were that impregnable, right? Architect of the Holy Land. But the article was saying, the only thing this guy's really remembered for is the fact that he searched for Jesus and couldn't find him. That he tried to kill Jesus and couldn't do it. So this greatest of individuals, with all these worldly accomplishments, the thing that he's remembered for by history is he tried to defeat Jesus and he failed. Right? And that's a, that's a picture of, of what Jesus brings with him. Uh, that those who are exalted and exalt themselves, the proud of the heart, exalt themselves against Jesus, end up being brought low. And again, you see it throughout the story. Uh, the, the, the religious leaders 
the earthly leaders who exalt themselves against Jesus, try to stop him, try to snare him in his teaching, try to even stop him by killing him. They end up defeated. They end up being brought low. They end up looking ridiculous. Right? Because that's what God is doing. At the very same time, he's exalting the humble. He is humbling the exalted. We read that from 1 Corinthians earlier, earlier today, didn't we? This is God's very plan. right? He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Uh, he is exalting his name. He's magnifying his name uh, by humbling those uh, who, uh, who stand against him and against his son. Which should, first of all, be a comfort to us. Uh, a comfort to us. As we, as we look around our world and things of this world seem so powerful and so strong, uh, it, it comforts us to know uh, that, that God's very plan uh, is that he will not be, he will not be displaced. Uh, he will not be outdone. Uh, he will not be defeated. Uh, and it, you can see it in history, and it will take place all the way uh, in its climax in the return of Jesus, uh, that the exalted things of this world will be brought low. And so that's a comfort to us in those moments when the things of this age seem so powerful. Of course, it's also a, a challenge to us uh, because part of the things that, that tend to get stuck in pride is not just out there, it tends to be in here. Uh, and so it challenges our own pride in those own moments when we want to focus in on our glory and our greatness to realize afresh that this, this God, this Savior, accepts no rivals. Uh, he's a God who humbles the exalted. Uh, and, so, and so it should cast ourselves again on him. Uh, Lord, have mercy on me, uh, a sinner. Um, and part of what helps us along this journey uh, is the very Lord's Supper that we're going to turn to. Uh, think for a minute how this fits in. The Lord's Supper fits in so wonderfully with Mary's hymn uh, and the theme of Jesus' coming. That what you have God doing uh, and reflecting here in pictures is God doing a great work in exalting the humble. And he does it through his own son, who humbles himself to the lowest place. Right? Don't, we, don't we get pictures of that here? Uh, that Jesus, the exalted one, uh, humbles himself, takes on a human body, human flesh, human blood, uh, but not just takes on flesh and blood, but gives his flesh and blood. Right? The, the, the body is broken. The blood is poured out. Right? The lowest of the low. Uh, right? All to exalt us. Uh, all to, uh, to go to those uh, who cast themselves upon him, right? those who come to the table not, not bringing money to pay, not bringing spiritual riches to earn uh, favor, but, but just receiving with empty hands. Right? I, I can't do it. Uh, but God, uh, the God who has humbled himself to the lowest place, has done it for me, that I might be exalted in him, in what he does. Uh, in who he is. And so even, even in the very elements, in the very, in the very act of taking the Lord's Supper, be encouraged. This is what God is doing. Uh, through, his, uh, through his son who comes to the lowest place, uh, he is exalting his people who cast themselves upon him. Uh, he is raising up those uh, who have nothing but Jesus. Uh, that is what he is doing. Uh, and we can take comfort in it. Uh, we, can, we can rejoice in it. We can magnify the Lord. Uh, with our emptiness and his greatness. 
Now we can rejoice that this is our hope, and it's a sure hope. Yes, it might look foolish to the world, but that's how God designed it. Uh, it's not supposed to look wise in the eyes of the world. It's designed to humble the wisdom of the world. And so we come and we think and we see this is true hope. Uh, this is true. This is true joy. And in it all, God is magnified and glorified. So let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you that you have given us a song to sing. You've given us a theme to rejoice in. You've done marvelous things. Lord, in, in Mary before us, uh, Lord, and, and through most powerfully, through her son, through the Savior, through uh, that one who has come to rescue us, Lord, we, we look to him as our only hope, uh, to your loving mercy, and we're thankful that that is a sure hope. Lord, help us to, uh, to rejoice uh, in, in that sure hope that's bigger than us. Uh, even the Savior who came to the lowest place. We pray in his name. Amen.